When I was 16 years old, I told my father I wanted to be a vegetarian. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Believe it or not, we are already into the second season of Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, and I want to thank you for your involvement. The response to the podcast has has been even better than we expected off the bat, and that's because of you and your sharing it, your uh, positive remarks on social media, and and sharing the podcast with people who you know could could use it. So if you haven't shared it with a leader or manager in your life who could use those practical tools, why have them go to leadershipwithoutlosingyoursoul.com and they can get subscribed today. I also have had a number of people asking about the book that I mentioned in a couple of episodes. Karen Hurt and I wrote Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. And it is a great soup to nuts compendium of so many of these different practical leadership tools and tips and how to lead in all of the day-to-day moments that you encounter as a leader. So you can find Winning Well on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, independent book retailers, anywhere that you would get it online, you can find it. And you can also find it in Audible, so you can listen to it, uh, as well as any of the electronic formats. And final thing I want to mention as a follow-up to season one as we start our next season here is that Karen and I are available to help your leaders get results with these practical tools. And so I had a, a question come in about leadership training. And yes, we do leadership training and development. In fact, it's our favorite thing to do. So if you would like more information about how we can help your leaders and managers to get results, sustain those results, uh, breakthrough results over time, go to letsgrowleaders.com, click on the training tab, and you can get more information there. And of course, you can always email any questions that you might have, david.die at letsgrowleaders.com. So yes, I had just told my father I wanted to be a vegetarian. He jumped up off of the couch and he ran over to the file cabinet and he started going through his files and he pulled out a couple of articles and he gave them to me. You see, my father was a vegetarian and so he was excited that I wanted to be a vegetarian. Now, if you want to be a vegetarian, there are a couple of ways to do it. You can just eat Pringles and Snickers and call it good. After all, that's not eating meat. But to do it properly, you want to balance your amino acids and get the right nutrients and so on. And so that's what these articles were because he was a vegetarian. So they were uh, articles that he had saved over the years about how to do it well, do it correctly. And so he shared them with me. And I studied them and, you know, invested in my vegetarianism. And I was a strict practicing vegetarian for three excruciating days. That's right, my experiment with being a vegetarian only lasted three days. So you might imagine my response when my daughter came to her mom and I when she was 16 and said, hey guys, I wanna be a vegetarian. Now I wanted to be a helpful father, so I explained to her that India was the cradle of excellent vegetarian cooking and that even the word vegetarian came from an Indian dialect and translated means lousy hunter. Well, at least that's what Andy Rooney said. So I don't know if it was because of my fatherly wisdom 
or maybe despite it, but our daughter went on with her plan. And for many years, she was a practicing vegetarian, even living in a different country. So the question is, what was the difference between my short-lived experiment and my daughter's lasting lifestyle change? Let's start with me. Why do you think I wanted to be a vegetarian? And you might think it was because I wanted to be like my father. And that was not it. I'm not proud, but the simple truth is that in my warped adolescent brain, I figured that being a vegetarian would somehow help me get a date. I don't know if I thought it would make me more interesting. I mean, what are you thinking when you're 16, right? But that's the truth. Now, contrast that motivation, which was shallow and meaningless and and pretty irrational, with my daughter's reasons. She wanted to live in a more sustainable, a less impactful lifestyle, didn't want to inflict harm on other creatures, and she wanted to eat a healthier diet. Now, whatever you might think about those three reasons, whether they mean anything to you or not, they were very meaningful for her. The difference ultimately in our behavior, my three days versus her multiple years, came down to one thing, our reasons why. Her whys were deep. They were compelling and lasting. Mine were shallow, and they were short-lived as a result. So what's this have to do with leadership? Think about the work that you ask of your team. The work are the what's. The reports, the phone calls, the meetings, the manufacturing, the patrols, the planning, calculations, the way you interact with customers, that's all the stuff that we do. Now the critical leadership question, in fact the question that is so vital, it's so full of life and energy and potential that I can confidently say it's the most important question you can ever answer for your team. The question is just why? Not a question about you know, great metaphysical or philosophical dilemmas. It's about the most practical question every team member needs to be able to answer. Why are they doing what they're doing? One of the most important jobs you have as a leader is to connect every what that you ask to a compelling and meaningful reason why you're asking it. There's a classic 1967 movie called Cool Hand Luke. It's an absolute classic, so if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. But Paul Newman plays a character who's serving time in a prison chain gang. And there's this scene where he is forced to dig a ditch. The jailers force him to repeatedly dig and then refill the same ditch. It's meaningless labor designed to break his spirit. And so if you think about it, when you don't connect the what of what you're asking to the why, you're basically giving them prison labor, and the only purpose to it is to break their spirit. So as you're examining your team and reflecting on your own leadership, the question to ask here is, are any of your staff, any of your team, are they doing work that's disconnected from real meaning and purpose? And if so, there are two possible reasons. First is that your staff don't understand the why behind the work. The second possibility, the worst one, is that there isn't any legitimate why. As organizations grow, as as things expand, something that was meaningful at one time, sometimes it will continue under the force of inertia and tradition, and if you don't challenge it, that inertia can eventually sap the life out of your team. What's without whys are a waste. They waste time, they waste energy, and they waste your people. 
But when you're able to say, hey, listen, I believe this matters and here's why, you give your team clarity, hope, and purpose, and you also create the opportunity for that belief to be challenged, and that's a good thing. Every single task performed by every single member of your team should somehow serve the mission of your organization, and if it's not, it needs to be challenged. You need to re-examine it and find a better way or even eliminate the task. Otherwise, you've sentenced your team to prison labor, and it ultimately breaks their spirit. One more example of connecting what to why in a really practical sense. Karen and I were sharing a workshop with a group of engineers, and one of them raised his hand as we were talking about this concept. His name was Matt, and he said, you know, when I was 17 years old, I worked at a hardware store, and our manager had a rule. The rule was that if a customer asked if we had a part, we had to go back to the stock room and, and look for it and then come out and tell the customer, yes, we have it, or no, we don't, but we'd be happy to order that for you. Well, in addition to being a cashier, one of my other responsibilities, Matt explained to us, was I managed the stock room. So when we were out of things, I would reorder, and I literally was 20 minutes out from working the stock room. I knew everything we had in that store. I had just reordered. I knew what we had. I knew what we didn't. And I had a customer come up to my cash register and ask me, hey, listen, I'm looking for this particular bracket. Do you have it? And Matt said, you know, I'm sorry we don't. I'd be happy to order that for you. And after he finished the transaction, his manager pulled him off of the, the cash register and laid into him. Listen, if you ever do that again, you're fired. Matt explained how he thought that manager was such a jerk, just couldn't stand the guy. And he thought about, he said, I thought about quitting right then, but I didn't. I worked out the rest of the summer, but I never went back. And he said, you know, I didn't really think about that situation again until just this past summer when my wife and I, we just got our first house and I was remodeling the deck. And so I went to the hardware store because I needed some deck screws. And I went to the bin where they were, but it was empty. So I went up and I asked the cashier, I said, hey, listen, I'm looking for this deck screw. Do you have any? And the cashier said, oh, no, man, sorry, we don't. I can order some. And Matt said, it all came flooding back, my experience, because the instinct that rose up in me is, well, now, wait a minute, aren't you going to go check? And Matt explained that it was then that he realized that the act of going back and checking was an act of empathy for the customer. Listen, I'm, I'm going to leave no stone unturned in the search for the thing that you need. It wasn't knowing whether you had it or not. It was the act of looking that mattered to the customer. He said, now I get it. But back then I didn't. And I wish my manager would have explained that to me. Instead of just laying down this rule that was arbitrary and warning me I'd get punished if I didn't follow it, he could have explained why. Now I understand the why. I just think that's such a great example of the power of connecting what to why and the damage that happens when you don't. So what are the reasons why you're asking the work you're asking? And now it's time to answer questions. I would love to answer your questions. It's one of my favorite things. So if you've got a management or leadership related question or a question about anything that we've covered in the past, a previous episode, 
there are two ways that you can get them to me. You can email them, david.die, D-Y-E, at letsgrowleaders.com, or go to leadershipwithoutlosingyoursoul.com, and there you'll find a bright orange button. You can click that button, and you can record your question. And either way, we can use those in a future episode. I'd love to answer that for you. This week, we actually did not receive any questions. So rather than take a question from the podcast audience here, I want to share with you an answer to a question that came in uh, just two days ago when Karen and I were speaking at a leadership summit in Texas. We had just finished a training program for a really dedicated group of middle-level and senior leaders. One of the women at the end of the program asked a, a question that I think is important. She said, you know, guys, what do I do when I have an employee who they're a good worker, they're trying really hard, but they're not really receptive to feedback. They think that they are performing better than they really are. And so they're not listening to the feedback because they think that they know it all. They've been around a while, but honestly, standards have changed and I'm expecting more than I was back in the past and so forth. So what do I do with that? Well, it's a great question, and it's one I think you know many leaders can empathize with. So if you find yourself in that situation, I want to share what I shared with her. And this really comes back to one of the concepts that we talked about in the first season, which is that clarifying of expectations. Before you have an accountability conversation with this person, and we're going to talk about how to do that in the next episode, Before an accountability conversation, you want to level set and you want to make sure that they are aware of the gap. So to sit down with them and say, hey, listen, I want to talk about what success looks like. And, you know, just want to do some level setting and make sure we're on the same page. You're doing a check for understanding. How do you understand what does success look like for your role or for our team or for whatever the kind of performance that you're looking for is? And you hear from them. And if they've got it, great. If they describe it the way it needs to be, then that's fantastic. You can move on to the the next conversation. But if they don't, if what they describe was the way standards were in the past, but not today, then you can take a moment to say, you know, what you describe is, that is what success looked like two or three years ago. Today, though, things have changed. And in order for us to be successful, this is what needs to be happening. Our productivity needs to be here. Our level of customer service needs to be this way. We need to be having these interactions because it has this impact. Again, connecting what to why. So to re-level set is the first step and make sure that you're on the same page and then do a quick check for understanding. Hey, listen, I want to make sure we're on the same page here. So what are you hearing in your own words? What are you hearing as we talk about what success looks like for this role? Once you've got some level setting around what success looks like and you're on the same page, then you can move to looking at the individual's performance. Okay, great. So this is what success looks like, and this is what we're trying to achieve. How would you say you're doing relative to that goal? And once again, listen to what they say. Sometimes people will be incredibly objective and accurate, and they're very self-aware, and then you can have a conversation about the gap. On the other hand, if they describe their performance in a way that is not accurate at all, then you want to be ready to share some specifics about what you're noticing and what you're seeing and be ready to help them with whatever they need to be doing to get from where they are to where their performance needs to be. 
So those are the first two steps. We're gonna make sure expectations are clear, have a conversation about that, make sure we're on the same page. Next thing we're gonna do is take a look at performance. And again, we're asking them to start both of these conversations. What do you understand the expectations to be? How do you think you're doing with regard to those expectations? If they're not on the same page, be ready to share what those expectations are or where their performance actually is. And then follow that up if you need to with some performance support to help them get from where they are to where they need to be. Once you've done that, you've clarified expectations, you've got them the training and equipping they need, now you're ready to move to an accountability conversation if after another week or two or whatever time frame is appropriate, the performance and the behavior isn't where it needs to be. And for that, stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Remember the power of connecting every what to a meaningful and compelling reason why. In fact, there's some research around this. It has the potential to double your team's productivity When you move from no meaning and purpose to strong connection of meaning and purpose, you can double your team's productivity. So connect what to why, and until next time, be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.